The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele, and today we are joined by Andrew Salter. Uh, he's a graduate from the Rhode Island School of Design. He got a Master of Architecture there, so he's an architect, and he's been an architect in New York City for eight years. He worked at Gensler as a project designer and has now founded his own practice, which is called Salter Works. Uh, and he was actually there in Manhattan on September 11th, uh, as was his father. So that'll be a very interesting story to hear. Let's bring him on in. Andrew, welcome to 9-11 Freefall. How you doing, Andy? Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on and for stepping forward and for signing that petition at ae911truth.org. You know, they give me people who sign the petition to look at and and preview is possibly coming onto the show. And I thought, wow, this is a young guy. Um, he's got a story that's personally connected here to September 11th, and he is a petition signer. We got to get to know him better, as does the greater 9-11 truth movement. So uh, first, let's just start where I start with a lot of people. Tell us your 9-11 story. Tell us every detail because you were there. Sure. So um, on September 11th, 2001, I was in high school um, in Manhattan. Um, and um, I, like so many other people, started hearing the news um, kind of on the right. I heard it on the radio in class. And um, everyone was puzzled, obviously. And then I didn't actually see any images the entire day until much later in the afternoon. So. Um, when I started hearing reports pouring in about a plane hitting a building um, in class, I, we all had no idea what it looked like or what it sounded like or anything. So um, all I knew was that I started getting very concerned and I knew that my dad worked down on Wall Street um, in American Express. So um, I was starting to get really worried that's, that something could happen. But um, this is before any of the buildings collapsed or anything like that. So. We were basically corralled into a lunchroom where we still somehow had no access to the visuals of what this looked like. Um, we were just, I was kind of walking around the, um, I'll never forget this, I was just walking around the lunchroom, hearing things from different people, different friends, like, oh, I heard this happen, I heard this happen through a radio, like in my, in my headphones, something like that. So, um, and then I remember my friend told me, oh, one of the towers just collapsed and I, I always thought, I mean, from that, from that instant, I thought that the tower must have fallen over or something or a portion of it fell over, just like a logical instinct that that's what it would have happened or a partial collapse. I mean, it all sounded horrible, but um, it never was anything like I could have imagined seeing later in the afternoon on TV. I just kind of, it, it, it just rocked me to the core of what, what actually took place. So, um, 
I was stuck there at school all day without any access to my hearing from my dad. I thought he maybe could have been dead. I had no, I really didn't, didn't talk to anyone in my family. Cell phones weren't working. So um, it, it was pretty, it was pretty scary. I mean, we all thought we could be dead. Who knows what's gonna happen? I mean, it's just really scary for everyone, but especially being in Manhattan. So I was far enough away from the actual, it was a couple miles away, so it wasn't I wasn't in in general immediate danger. Um, so around four some four thirty in the afternoon, my uncle come pick me up uh, picked uh, me up, and I was able to see the news um, for the first time. And I just I could not believe anything I was seeing. I mean, it was just unreal. And then all these the buildings just collapsing, and then just straight down. I thought that's really really odd. I mean, even then, and I had no I had no. Uh, concept of challenging anything until many many years later but even then I just thought that's so bizarre and and actually at that moment we tuned in was when World Trade Center 7 collapsed which is with so many people forget about actually when you talk to a lot of people they just oh was there a third building oh, okay so that that I remember that because I turned on the news and I was like oh well, World Trade Center 7 has just collapsed and it was the same way and I thought man this is crazy so finally I talked to my dad a little while after he was he was alive, he was okay. He wasn't injured or anything, but he was running from the cloud of dust. And uh, when I came home later, finally around 7 p.m., finally made it home, I'll never forget seeing him in front of my house um, in his suit, just cloaked in dust from head to toe. I mean, uh, it was so unbelievably surreal. And uh, so that it was a like so many people, I mean, I'm so lucky I didn't lose anybody, but it was still, it was um, pretty, pretty traumatic weird surreal day for sure yeah as it was for everybody around the world that day even if you weren't there just watching this watching how the tv was just taken over in every station by by three networks um and yeah. seeing the little ticker going by that was that was surreal for me because that really kind of put it in my mind that oh my god this is a major world crisis i mean if i couldn't already tell by watching what was going on but um it's interesting that you tuned in just as building seven was coming down did you think it was strange at that point back in high school the way it came down yeah i mean i think um part of i did think it was strange i mean i, I think what I mentioned earlier about my in initial conception of what could have happened, what probably happened, and what did happen was the only thing that was making me feel weird. I think I was generally, like so many other people, so scared. There was so much fear that it sort of overrides the practical part of your brain, the logical part of your brain, which is kind of, um, I don't know, maybe maybe the, the genius of maybe, however it's all, however it's it's it has come to be. But I, it's just, I, I didn't really, wasn't thinking straight. Um, I'm only, it's only now that I'm able to actually rationally look back and think about how I was feeling and why it didn't line up. I didn't put the pieces together at all, though. Yeah. Now, when your father came home, because he was there watching this, I presume, um, he's covered in dust from that day. Did he tell you anything about his story, what he witnessed from the streets there? Yeah, uh, sure, he did. Um, when he exited, uh, he worked on... I, I don't know if it was 40 Wall Street, but it was like a block or two away. Um, he, uh, he exited the train and I think the first plane had already hit. So he, um, or I'm sorry, maybe it was the second, he'd got there just after nine o'clock. So he was looking up and seeing the buildings on fire and he was standing around a crowd of probably thousands of people just looking up at the buildings. And um, I don't think he actually watched them 
fall down because he was maybe around the corner or something, but he started hearing everything happening. And then that's when everyone just started running for their lives. And of course he was terrified. He was running for his life. So he was like all those people just running down the street corners, um, around the streets um, with the cloud following them. Um, and I mean, he said it was obviously, it was terrifying. I mean, he had no idea. He was the same with everyone. They just had no idea what was actually happening. It was all happening so fast. And that's part of it too. It all happened so incredibly fast. I mean, between the planes hitting and the buildings collapsing, we're talking like an hour and a half or something. I mean, that's so, there's no time for anything, anybody to really react or it's just all fear. So he was, he walked all the way back to downtown Manhattan and then back to Brooklyn and there was no real transportation. So um, he had a pretty harrowing day. I'm just amazed that he came out unscathed. I mean, he has, he thankfully doesn't even have any long-term health problems from it, but, but he, um, like so many other people, he, he felt the same as I did for years, just, just believing what happened was what happened, what we were told was what we were told. And it, it wasn't until much later that we both actually turned around and realized that it was much more than ECI. So. Yeah, well, it's for a lot of people. You know, I watched Building mm -hmm. 7 come down. I didn't think twice about it until I saw Stephen Jones talking about it years mm -hmm. later. And it's just, it's something, something needs to be clicked in your brain sometimes. It's like imagining a color that doesn't exist. It's impossible um, <clears throat> until you actually have a frame of reference, until your eyes can visualize it. And for this, uh, people need somebody else to point it out to them a lot of times. So we've established your day of September 11th, which is uh, very, uh, and I, again, very personal to, to the event right there. Um, <clears throat> talk about why you went into architecture. Why did you choose that field? And, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about your background with it. Sure. Um, uh, so I've always been interested in, in uh, building and putting things together um, uh, as an artist since I was a child. So um, my interest in kind of combination of art and being hands-on about building things um, really kind of drew me towards architecture. And actually a lot about September 11th and the buildings collapsing and, and the structure of buildings really kind of actually brought me in a little closer towards pursuing architecture. Um, there was something so mysterious and weird and I didn't know it at the time, but I was kind of, I became obsessed after the World Trade Center collapsed um, about those buildings, about um, how they were built, about the history of them uh, being built and their structure. And uh, I even made little models. I was really getting kind of weirdly obsessive about it. Um, so, um, I, I think that there's just the, there's the combination of that, that artistic background, how things work, and how things put together, and and the actual event itself. Weirdly enough, brought me to architecture, um, and uh, I, I studied uh, starting in 2010 uh, for my grad graduate studies at RISD. Did they make a lot of reference to September 11th when you're studying this? I mean, do they really get into it at all um, in terms of the buildings coming down and how unprecedented it was? No, you would think that they would. Um, and it's, it is reflected in building codes in terms of the things that were changed in, in terms of fire regulations and things like that and life safety. But when I was in school, there was really barely any mention of it. In fact, I only remember one time it was mentioned in class. Um, and the teacher said, I, I wish I could remember the exact details, but the teacher said something to the effect of, 
well, of course, this is how uh, buildings, uh, the Twin Towers collapse, blah, 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 like the standard story. And one of the kids, and this was even before I kind of become aware, really aware of it, but one of the, the kids in class kind of went, eh, I don't know about that. He was the only one, but I thought, hmm, somebody's challenging this, interesting. So, and that that's really around the time that I, I actually started looking into it. But it was not really either discussed or questioned in any way uh, at all in school. Sometimes it takes that one person, you know, to introduce the thought into people's heads. So that's why it never hurts to voice your opinions when appropriate. I think in a classroom setting, it is absolutely appropriate. And uh, if you don't have one of those professors or teachers that's going to hold your grade accountable, it might still be worth doing it. But uh, that's up to yeah. the individual to decide. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's not a lot of talk about this. And it's amazing. You know, when I talked to architects at the AIA conference years ago, I mean, a lot of them had not even heard of the third tower that fell on that day. And then they tried, one of them tried to claim it was an earthquake that brought Building 7 down. He was just making this up as he went along. But uh, a lot of cognitive dissonance and people's imaginations really stretch to try to explain this. Other than, you know, going to where the obvious explanation is, which is pre-planted explosives. Right. Um, what, was, what was it for you that actually brought you on to this side of things? When you looked at the evidence, how did you first start looking at it? And then what really convinced you in the end? So um, uh, besides my, my, my kind of obsession for the first, I would say like decade or so, just about the actual event, maybe just a little more than what's normal and accepted, that was more of just like a, an interest and a curiosity um, in these structures, but I think when I really what what turned me around was actually when I was at RISD. Uh, it was around 2010 or 2011, I would say, and it was actually architects and engineers for 9/11 Truth uh, that really brought me to the other side. Um, I don't even remember what I was looking, why I was looking it up. It may have been that discussion in class um, that I thought, well, let me just. I think the thing was it was really hard for me, like so many other people, to even broach the subject at all and look at the videos again, look at the footage. It had been years since I even saw any footage of, of the Twin Towers collapsing. Nobody wants to look at it. Nobody wants to talk about it, which to a certain extent is understandable. It's very painful. But, um, but I thought, I kind of want to just look at it again, and I want to give it a fresh set of eyes. And I think when I started searching on YouTube, I got a couple videos that said World Trade Center uh, demolition things, explosives. I thought that's weird. I mean, why? Okay. Well, let me just check it out. And from there, it was just it was just Pandora's box. I started looking at it, and, I, and it was it became so clear after looking at so many videos that that showed the same thing. And it was just real raw footage too. It wasn't just people talking. I mean, all you have to do is really look at the stuff really closely. And that's when it started just becoming very clear. And then I watched. Um, one of the uh, AE 9-11 documentaries that was so intelligently put together with so many experts and so many architects, engineers, and scientists, I thought, I mean, if these people are can't be full of it, I mean, these people have 30, 40 years of experience and they're so smart in the way that they're approaching this and it's so it's such a, um, a scientific methodology and, and, and the video footage is there, the eyewitness is there. And then from then, I just I just spent years um, reading books about it, looking at documentaries, um, looking at footage, and it's just it's so it's been so painfully obvious to me that 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 they were that they they came down uh, with demolition uh, with explosives. I mean, it's just 
I can't see it any other way. And from there, I really tried to talk with other people about it, but it's just been so, it's for the most part very difficult to even talk about it at all. Um, so it's a great organization, Architects and Engineers in our luxury. They're really, they're really the ones that, that changed my mind. Yeah, no, it is difficult, especially at first. And there was a period of time in this country where, I mean, talking about this would stir up so much emotion from people, especially if you're mm -hmm. out in New York City. I, you know, I think it's kind of chilled out a little bit, um, but it's not completely gone. You know, there's some people mm -hmm. who just can't face it, and that's what we're dealing with. I, I say it all the time. It's a sociological problem that we're dealing with, not necessarily a scientific one. We've already made the case for this. Mm -hmm. um, now, when you sign the petition, some people are concerned. I had I've had engineers call me and say, "I do work in the United States, and you know, I'm worried about this interfering with that or them not letting me into the country." And I don't know how rational those concerns are. They might be, they might not be. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, you know, but it's on the internet. It's someone can look it up. So you've made a conscious decision to add your name to the 3,500 architects and engineers. Was that difficult for you? Was there any kind of um, oh trepidation? in doing it uh sure but i thought geez this is the least i can do i mean I, i'm thinking here there are people uh, like yourself and people that are actually making these organizations possible that are really putting their themselves in the line their careers in the line i thought the very least i can do is sign this petition as as someone who knows um a decent amount i mean i'm no expert on on the science and the physics of all of this but i certainly know enough to i think have a, have a decent opinion and i think uh it's it's my duty to uh for the all of the people who, who died and not just in the world trade center but all the, the consequential events of the world trade center um not being properly investigated and i think that that's it's a huge burden on society to to really determine what happened um so it's the least I can do. So I didn't really, I didn't really worry about it too much. I think where it gets to be um, tricky is talking about it at work, um, and I have in certain situations. I never try to parade it around, but the conversations have come up, and and it's been very tricky, even with architects, um, to talk about the subject in a rational way at all. So, so I, I was very proud to sign the petition, and I can only hope that. It, leads to something beneficial in the future. Yeah, I imagine, actually that leads into my next question for you because you obviously have colleagues. I would assume that you got some friends in there who are also architects, people you get uh, close to and, and doing your work. Mm -hmm. um, what are those conversations like? You don't have to mention any names or anything like that, sure. but uh, how does that typically go? What's the kind of reaction that you do get? Uh, so, uh, I remember when I first learned about this and when I first really kind of came to the other side of this conclusion um, and I had my first job after after grad school, um, I was so eager to talk to people about this because I thought, well, okay, we're architects, we're all gonna be on the same side. And especially after watching all these intelligent people talk on uh, in a documentary and many documentaries about it, um, and have people write about it. There's no way we can disagree. So I brought it up and I remember bringing it up and saying, yeah, I mean, don't you think that those buildings came down and not, it wasn't normal and blah, blah, blah. And I remember this colleague just saying, um, no, no, that's, I mean, that's impossible. The steel melted, blah, blah, blah. The planes were just going really fast. I thought, 
Okay. I'm not even going to go there because I felt like that was just, it would, it would just create unnecessary tension, but clearly it was not, um, it was not a hostile environment, but it was not, it is not the most friendly to talk in. And, and I think generally with, with people at work that I've talked to about it and friends that are architects that I've talked to about it, they aren't all totally just, oh, that's impossible. But it's, it's, it's really echoes more of the general sen um, sentiment. It, it, it's almost as if being an architect doesn't make you that um, different from the rest of society in this matter. It's just, it's, it's the general public feeling a certain way in society. It reflects what society um, tells us. And being an architect doesn't really change that much. It's more just about being kind of awakened to, to facts in front of you, whether or not you're an architect or not, if that makes sense. Um, it's just that being an architect makes it seem more logical that you would understand the elements of it, just like being uh, um, an aerospace engineer or, or someone who designs uh, uh, jets would understand a little bit more about this, or someone who's a physicist would understand more about this. But a physicist can be maybe just as either naive or unwilling to understand facts as an architect or anyone else for that matter. Right. Nobody is immune from the cognitive dissonance and that goes in any profession, any field, even architects and mm -hmm. engineers, people who are refusing to look into this. Uh, I mean, and as I said before, I even had an architect trying to argue there was an earthquake that day, even though there's absolutely no evidence of that. I'm sure Nis would seize on that if that were true, right. but, uh, but there wasn't. Um, but they just make stuff up and I'm not trying to go after them or anything like that. It just goes mm -hmm. to show you what we are up against here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking of architects, we've, we've done outreaches in the past to the AIA. Um, and you know, we've had diminishing success with that because there was a lot of effort to try to stifle our abilities just to bring the information to the membership. Mm -hmm. um, and we did try to get resolutions passed and then eventually they took away our ability to award uh, AIA credits for the webinars we did. Um, I just want to get your thoughts about that because the AIA is supposed to be the organization for architects. It's supposed to be the voice for them. And a lot of people organize into the different groups. I mean, what's your thoughts about the organizational, and not just AIA, but overall uh, other organizations, even in engineering, organizational um, organizing around trying to stifle the people that are talking about this and trying to get some action done to uh, other members. So um, I can't, I mean, I can't specifically speak to the things that they've said about September 11th. Um, I think I can only just imagine that, um, especially based on what you're telling me that, uh, I mean, the AIA is going to voice the most, um, I guess like whatever like kind of public consensus is, will be the AI. They're not going to step outside their comfort zone and start challenging these major events, even if they are a collection of some of the most intelligent uh, professionals in the country in terms of architecture and engineering. I mean, it just, it's just, it's not going to help them in terms of what their mission is, which is to just be this, this rock of a professional organization don't rock the boat. So I I, um, I was sort of in and out of part of AIA for a couple of years, but I, I'm not really uh, as involved anymore. And um, I don't really, um, I wouldn't hold my breath in terms of them uh, um, either 
looking into this, supporting any uh, organization that's looking into it. And it's a shame that they're not even letting you guys give uh, continuing education credits or anything like that. Because I think, honestly, I think you're the, you guys are the only organization in terms of architects and engineers that I know of that's really doing this work. Um, the AIA should be doing this kind of work. Um, and I know it's the same. I'm pretty sure it's the same for the American Society of Civil Engineers. Uh, they're the same kind of, they, they kind of go along with the official story for the most part, as far as I know. So um, it's, if it's at a national level like this and it, it's that big of an organization, it's going to be very hard to change it. Unfortunately, it's really, really a shame, actually. Yeah, what we're, what we're finding is, I mean, with uh, ASCE is that a lot of people at the grassroots are interested in at least hearing this, at least seeing the evidence laid out in front of them. And why shouldn't they be? Even if you disagree with us, let's have the debate, you know, watch it for your own amusement, at yep. least. Um, but, you know, the, the guy we had on for last week's show, Larry Cooper, got a standing ovation at ASCE when he gave the presentation. So there is interest in this. But unfortunately, there's also institutional um, censorship of this issue. And, uh, you know, I remember when we were doing more with AIA in terms of outreach, I looked at their speakers list at their convention every year. And I mean, I think one year they had uh, Bill Clinton, another year they had Kevin Spacey. And I'm not alleging any conspiracy here, but I'm saying is they have a vested interest in going with the flow. You get these yeah. big names there, suddenly you start challenging um, American government and these official reports. Maybe you don't have these big name speakers anymore. You're not raising as much money. Right. Again, I'm speculating. I don't know, um, but it just seems like the, you know, I can see why these political decisions are made and it's unfortunate because these groups are supposed to be an authority and um, it seems like it's more about kind of protecting the status quo than speaking up when it counts but that's why we have to go to the grassroots and that's why if we have other great architects like the gentleman that we have in front of us right now watching the show you got to speak up at your meetings you know mm -hmm. I, I don't think they're going to stop taking your donations or not your donations your uh, membership dues um, so, you know, you've got the power to do that. And right. if you're a president of a chapter or whatever, speak up and we'll be happy to do the presentation. We haven't given up on AIA or anything mm -hmm. like that. We'll just give us a call and uh, right. we'll do it virtually. But, um, but no, and then that's what I've seen, but it's great to have people like you step forward. Um, you know, stepping out of the field of architecture, has this changed your views of America and the greater world, or it must have, uh, how did it do that? I should say. Thanks yeah. yeah, it's a great question. Um, it absolutely has. Um, after I came to this realization, I mean, I guess it was about a decade ago, um, and after it became really clear, I mean, after maybe a, a year or so looking into um, documentaries and books and articles and, and really looking at tons of hours of footage, I mean, I, I was, I mean, it was in denial at first, for sure. I, I thought this could not be possible um, that this is happening because this means something that very nefarious is going on. Um, and then my whole outlook on uh, geopolitics obviously changed. Um, my whole outlook on what the United States does around the world changed. Um, I, I, I saw how we, how the United States interacts with other countries differently and its foreign policy differently. Um, because everything, I realized that 9-11 was sort of the lexicon, it was, it was, it was, um, it was, sorry, not the lexicon, the nexus of everything that's happening. Um, whether it's uh, the, um, 
the surveillance state or our Middle East uh, never-ending wars um, and uh, militarization of police, all those kinds of things, I realized how important this event was in all of the politics around the world. Um, and the longer that we, as a society, accept the official story of what happened, um, I think the longer we're letting we're letting this event dictate everything in our lives. So, I mean, I think if people really did look into this and realize, like, I mean, who knows what we'll discover if we were to actually do a real investigation of this. Um, but I think it would really deeply change everybody's belief about their faith in government, about um, what direction we're heading as a country, about what uh, wars we've used as justification because of 9-11. So, um, my outlook has deeply changed about about the world and and the country that I live in, especially because it happened here, and and we have to hold our leaders accountable, and they never were held accountable um, for the for those events. It kind of just got swept under the rug. We went off to war, um, and we haven't really looked back. I mean, we still have these these warnings on. I mean, not the warnings, but on on the subway, and I still have it. Twenty years later. Um, police can randomly search your bag. Well, that's all from September 11th. You see something, say something. That's all from September 11th. And it hasn't gone away in 20 years. You know, what's next? I mean, we, we have to really, really be dil diligent about looking into these things when they happen. Um, of course, it always takes time, but uh, to look back, hindsight 2020, right? But um, so that's here we are. Yeah, and that is the new talking point, too, is, oh, it happened 20 years ago. Who cares? Who cares about that? Right. right? 3,000 people died. I mean, there's families that don't have that person in their lives anymore. Um, and there are people that were affected as a result of what happened after September 11th. I can remember working at some company, and I was overhearing a conversation. I tend to do that, sit quietly and listen to people. And this girl was talking about going out to dinner with her fiance later in the night. And he had been to Iraq, which was, you know, we went to Afghanistan first, but then they used 9-11 uh, in ways to justify Iraq. It was a whole, a whole era of war in this country. And he had been blown up by a roadside bomb. He was alive. Um, but sh whatever his injuries were, I never saw the guy, but whatever his injuries were, he had to have his girlfriend cut up his steak for him whenever they went out. And he was always embarrassed about going out to dinner because she had to cut his food for him. Mm. All right. That is a situation that is going to follow this guy until the day that he dies. Yeah. And, be and this is a direct result of what happened in that era of history, which all got kicked off with September 11th and the lie of how these towers came down. So for him, 9-11 mm. happens a little bit every day whenever he goes out to a restaurant and in whatever other ways his physical condition affects his daily life. The people who are sick now who are dying from cancers and, and all of the terrible toxic stuff that was in the air. For them, 9-11 happens a little bit every day. So people are still dying as a result of this. So we absolutely do have to care. 9-11 is still happening as I speak right now. And it's great that people like you step forward and we need more of them. Now, uh, you're a young guy. I can see that right here on the camera. And I'm wondering, you know, there's people um, who were little kids when 9-11 happened. You were in high school. I was in college. There's there's younger people who are waking up to this. Excuse me. And um, I talked to them. Do you think that the next generation is going to have a more open mind about an event like this? 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think in some ways we have more information than we ever did uh, before, say 20 years ago. I mean, we have, we have the internet, we have YouTube, we have, we have uh, endless documentaries, we have endless, endless things, sources to read from. So on September 11th, for instance, all we had was basically CNN and MSNBC. And we just, we, that was our, our God at the moment telling us this is what was happening, right? And vis-a-vis -vis the government. Um, whereas now we have much more than that. But the danger, I think, of what's happening now in this era of censorship uh, is is getting quite alarming. Um, that that uh, that being able to have these kinds of conversations, say it on YouTube or anywhere else, or will be uh, more and more encroached upon, and that we can't just have this have that kind of free discussion. So, in terms of the future generations, I'm I'm really not sure what that's going to look like. I feel like it's almost going to come full circle uh, in a way. Um, I, I always think about the Vietnam War and the way that it was covered um, pretty openly and, and, and in a candid way at the time. Of course, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't alive when it was being covered, but I, I've seen all the news footage of, of just independent journalists going there and seeing all these horrible things happening and relaying this to the American people. Um, and what, that's what really made the war so unpopular at home, besides it being a draft. And um, I feel like the media almost learned its lesson after that. I said, well, you know, we got to kind of make sure that we are really consolidated, that we have embedded journalists, that we do this, that we do that. Um, and obviously this is before the internet, but I mean, I think that there is, there are a lot of lessons that the media has taken from cues and events in history. And September 11th was definitely one of them. Um, and I think now that with this, with the, the COVID era, um, and there's a, there's an alarming clampdown of, of real censorship happening for news of, of any kind. Just information, the free flow of information is is no with no doubt being challenged right now. So um, I would hope by these kinds of conversations that we're having that that we can share these things with people. I think there's I think that there is in some circles uh, with younger people that I've, I've crossed that there is an open-mindedness to events in history like this. I don't think they're so locked into the official story, but I think the, the problem is actually more of people, maybe in their people like my age, my era, thirties um, and beyond that are really locked into what happened that day that really lived through that day actually, because they were, it was so cemented in their brains from all the news that they were kind of just, that there was like hypnotizing them, um, that they that that was the all they could know. So I think that's actually the harder generation to reach is the slightly older um, generation that actually lived through it. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, because especially people who were traumatized as a result of what happened afterwards and the wars and such. I mean, nobody wants to think that they went to go fight a war, lost their legs, and it was over a lie. I understand that completely, and I'm and I don't trash their sacrifice because people, a lot of them, went into these wars thinking they were doing the noble thing, thinking they were doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing, mm -hmm. um, but they shouldn't have been sent there in the first place. It was Kurt Vonnegut said uh, about uh, Bush, you know, using soldiers like a kid who just got Christmas presents, you know, like some toy soldiers that he he just got for Christmas, something yeah. to that effect. I always butchered the quotes, but. So, you know, but you get the yeah. point there. And, um, and, and so, you know, for those people, it's a lot more difficult. Now I noticed that over time people are more, you know, they have more life experience. Um, they've come to some kind of, 
peace or closure with their situation and they can look at things like this a little bit more openly but you know it, it's terrible that we have to wait so long for this we couldn't have immediate justice and that we have to have people like us do this work rather than ones that, than the ones who were paid to do it such as our news right. professionals um and and you know government and and whatnot um, and in the professional communities. Now, I don't blame the majority of the professional communities because a lot of them don't even know about this issue. And, uh, and what they do know of it has been so peppered with propaganda and and ridicule that uh, they form an opinion without even knowing what they're talking about a lot of times. Why do architects, in your view, need to care about this issue? Well, I think for one, um, yeah, I think citizens in general need to, but I think architects do because it's... <laughs> kind of amazing. I mean, it's a misconception that is, it seems so glaringly obvious in terms of the, the, the scientific data about what actually happened on that day into those buildings. It seems it should be so obvious to someone who's in the art, the building industry, um, that I'm kind of shocked that architects don't want to look more into it. So, um, when we look at things like, I mean, I'm, I won't go through too many details because we've you've, um, you've already discussed them, I'm sure so many times on your on your program but I mean things like the temperature at which steel actually melts which is incredibly high or the likelihood that a building would actually collapse completely into dust straight down um, is so unlikely that I think it's 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 shocking that architects in general just don't say that's that's just absurd why that would never happen so that's that's more of the alarming thing to me and then um, uh, so, so I think over the years, as I, as I've looked into it more and more, um, it just, it just seems, it seems so glaringly obvious, um, to me at least. And, and I, I think when I talk to people about it, say like architects, um, they will kind of rehash the same story that anybody else would, the, the things that they were told, they won't give me anything really specific in terms of when I, what I get, try to get their perspective, like, how do you think it happened? Well, uh, the steel melted, planes went into buildings and it collapsed because it was too hot. And there's really not much detail there. There's just the, a, a kind of a washed over story, which is what I would expect. But I'm thinking, you know, this is your, this is your livelihood of being an architect. You should understand some basic properties of building materials. Um, and I'm not slandering anyone. It's just, it's just, it's more just, it's really weird that, that they wouldn't be more curious to look into it. But that's the thing is that there's this general idea that you that they don't want to talk about it they don't even want to look at uh, real footage or, or even if I if I give them real information or real scientific article or data um, they just don't want to talk about it um, and some people are a little more um, uh, hostile than others some people just sort of say like oh, it's not it's not for me some people are really aggressively like no you're you're a dangerous person because you're questioning things and I don't want to talk about this anymore and you're making me angry. One time I remember years ago when I actually used to say things on Facebook um, and I have since long since been a part of it, uh, I, I left Facebook years ago, but I remember I was posting about this on the one anniversary of September, September 11th and I guess this was my half-hearted attempt to kind of uh, bring information to people and it was just having a discuss an argument on Facebook with a couple friends and one a uh, person I knew, uh, a friend of mine on, on Facebook said something to the effect of everything you're saying is so disrespectful. My my mom's, like my mom's aunt, or my aunt died in, in World Trade Center. You're, it's like you're spitting on her grave. And I thought, good God, I mean, I, how am I how am I in any way spitting on you? If anything, I, I would, I'm, I'm paying for the justice of the people that, that, that did die 
um, or the people that almost died, like my dad. I mean, I, I, it makes me so, it made me so angry for so many years that nothing, that this was all really clearly an orchestrated lie, that I, I wanted nothing more than really just like justice for these people. And of course the people that went off to war, but really the, mostly the people that died. And, and for someone to say, you're, you're an offense, like you hate the, the person that died, like my relative that died, because you're questioning what happened is, is pretty shocking. Um, we should be able to question things that happen in, especially events that change our lives. We should be able to question them without fear of uh, retribution and, and slander. And I, I mean, it, it's just, um, it's, it starts to become very clear that you're not allowed to talk about this in general circles and society. Um, so that's, I think, not so great. Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I remember this whole talking point being put out and that's what I believe it is maybe a little speculation on my part but I, I believe that was a talking point that was put out because so many people repeated it it's disrespectful to the families to question the events of that day well first of all if I didn't care about the victims I wouldn't be talking about this like why would I put myself at the center of this why what, what benefit would they have for me as a person or person young person trying to uh, make his way in the world um, so, you know, that, that, that throws that out right there, but also too, it's like saying if the police do an investigation, <clears throat> let's say a little girl dies or something and they look into evidence that it was the parents, well, is that being disrespectful to the family? I mean, they might argue that if they're guilty, right? right. But I mean, a lot of times though, they're happy that they're clearing them right away, that they look into them and then go after whoever the killer is because right. you're doing a police investigation. You're trying to get at the truth. And this is an event that didn't just affect the people there in New York City, though it affected them directly, but it infected or affected and maybe even infected uh, the entire world, you mm -hmm. know, because people still felt the repercussions as a result. And now look at where we are. I really think that today's world events have been influenced by the past. So I always say it mutilated American history. So, you know, there's some bad players out there who want to say 20 years ago, who cares about September 11th. I think it is important uh, to this day, as for reasons I stated earlier, and I think there are consequences of not doing this work. Because, man, if the light of 9-11 truth goes out, then who will remind them? Who will remind the world that Building 7 should not have fallen the way that it did? Who will remind the world that the top part of a building cannot crush the lower part without slowing down? Who will be putting out these reminders to everyone, spray painting uh, this message that uh, the buildings were brought down and controlled demolitions all over everything that comes up again, making them question, making them more vigilant. In your view, what's the consequence of 9-11 truth not existing, of, the, of us not doing this work? Yeah, that, I mean, that's actually a thought that's crossed my mind many times. It's, it's pretty scary to me, the thought of that being extinguished, because because it, we are at this point of 20 years later, um, which is quite a lot of a long time for for uh, for the for the general consensus to have not changed, um, it's it's a little scary. I mean, I, I think um, there are a lot of people doing great work, but it's still regarded as as fringe, as um, not accepted in in terms of just general conversation. It's not accepted um, on any kind of mainstream news. Um, it's it's still something that's just taboo. And, and even when, when I think about uh, family conversations with certain people or, or uh, 
especially people like more middle-aged, I think are so cemented in their views that they, they just will not even have the conversation like I was saying earlier. So that if this, if this movement really dies out, I mean, you're right. Like who is going to, who is going to do anything about it? So I think we all have a duty to, um, to tell the world about what, what we think happened and at least have the conversation. I think the best thing that I feel like sometimes I can do is just talk about it with people. Um, and really have a, have a real conversation and try to try. I'm not trying to change everyone's mind. I just want to have an open discussion about it. Uh, and we should at the very bare minimum be able to do that with each other. So everyone that I've talked to in my life, I've always tried to have a pretty candid conversation about it. No, no, not everybody wants to talk about it. And I don't want to make that person uncomfortable. But, um, but I think that we all have that duty. Um, and I encourage anyone I mean, everyone who's watching is probably already the, converted to the other side of, of, of the truth at this point. But I think for anybody who's not, I mean, I would encourage anyone to just do their own research. I mean, that's what I always try to tell people. I said, like, you know, don't believe me. Um, do your own research. Really look into it. Look at the raw footage again. Don't just don't and it, don't just watch what the mainstream news said about it. Look at raw footage. Look at what eyewitnesses said. Read scientific, real independent scientific reports about it. Read, really dig into it. And because that's what you really have to do to understand this. You have to really dig into it. And the problem of the event was that I think what the government and the mainstream news really wanted was for people to just get a really um, kind of like a high level idea of what happened and then move on. Don't actually look into it. Don't investigate it. Don't look at the footage too long. Don't really. Um, and we're so lucky that all this footage exists. Honestly, I mean, it could have. We could have not had it. But I mean, that was really the idea, I think. And that's why everyone has such a limited understanding of actually what happened. Um, when you talk to anyone, it's just like this happened, that happened, and then that happened, right? I mean, what, it seems pretty straightforward, right? It's like, well, not really. Um, I remember there was a New York Times article. Uh, I still have the New York Times from the day after, which has the big headline of U.S. attacked and the World Trade Center being blown up. And there was something about it where they already had an explanation of what happened. It's almost like they had it ready to go. It was like, well, the steel had melted, it was weakened and melted. How do you know the day after? How are you telling everyone? Yeah. How is it okay for you to be telling everyone that this happened? I mean, there, like you said, there should be a criminal investigation like anything else that should take months or maybe even years to figure out what happened. I mean, there's no one that could have known with certainty that, that would have happened unless someone was telling them to say that. So um, um, I, I think to get back to your point, it's very important that the movement really continues and that we all keep having these open conversations. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like in the days after September 11th, I mean, anybody could say whatever they wanted practically. I remember the radio sounded like a crazy person broke into the station and took it over, you know, talking about nuke in France. I mean, I don't know how they got there, but, um, but you know, just kind of going off into these tirades and there were headlines that I think might have said bastards or something to that effect. So it was like you could say whatever you want as long as you didn't question the official story of how the towers came down, as long as you repeat the same stuff, you can spew out as much hatred as you want at the world. And you got that free reign to do that for the next couple of days. And as long as you're reinforcing the propaganda, good guns. And it doesn't matter that there's things that the media got wrong uh, on September 11th that have been proven. Like they showed a bunch of Palestinians celebrating and it turned out it was either from a wedding or a soccer game or something. And right. I've never really heard any, any major acknowledgement of wrongdoing on their part and, and completely framing an entire uh, group of people. 
but uh, they wanted to make it seem like they were celebrating 9-11 happening. So, you know, there was an entire spin machine going on right from the day of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, you have issues, too, like uh, NIST refusing to test the World Trade Center dust for incendiaries or explosives. And they say, well, wait, why do we need to do that? We're not going to find any. Well, how do you know until you do it? I mean, just complete lapses right. in logic that they get away with and all these hit pieces over the years where, you know, they'll show somebody <clears throat> who's on our side and they'll put the camera right really close up to their face to make them look nervous and sweaty <laughs> and everything. And then they show this guy in a nice office, you know, from Popular Mechanics. That's what they were relying on back then. Mm-hmm. Just sit there all calmly and, and regurgitate a bunch of propaganda and they'll claim, yeah, we addressed this. No, you didn't. You didn't address half of the things, not even close to half of the things that mm-hmm. are wrong with this official story. Um, so you've talked about the consequences of not doing this work. I think we're having an impact. And I, I've said it so many times, I'm not even going to say it, but we influence current things happening right now um, by talking about this. Uh, obviously, you're still very interested in this. And this is a common question I like to ask because I want to know what drives people. What keeps you hopeful about this issue? Where do you see progress happening? Uh, that's a good question. I, 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 um, I, I do feel hopeful. Um, there's just, it's really like a, unfortunately a small small part of me that there's like a little, little flame still going. And, and I think that other, and I think if that flame wasn't going at all, I wouldn't even bother having conversations with people I know or, or wanting to come on the show and talk about it. Um, I think in terms of progress happening, that's where I come up with, I'm at a little bit of a loss. I think, um, uh, I, I think I'm hopeful that there are organizations like yours um, that are that are doing it in a very intelligent way, and I think the way that, that Architects and Engineers for 9/11 Truth has been so successful at doing it is that it's been so organized and so focused. Um, it's just the message is we want to talk exactly about how these buildings came down from a scientific perspective, an architectural perspective, an engineering perspective, and nothing else. And there are many theories about what, who would have done it, and this and that. And, um, but, but I think that starts to get too, it's like a different conversation. It starts to get too, um, uh, too much of a big focus and, and it being myopic is actually good in a good way, in, in, in a way, because, um, it's hard for people to start dismissing you and saying, well, they're just this, they're just that. It's like, no, actually, it's just a collection of really intelligent professional people that know what they're talking about that are, that are providing facts and data. Um, and that's what, that's almost what you need for people to take you seriously, um, especially when you're, you're getting constantly battered with all this conspiracy theory nonsense and all this stuff. Um, and even though the mainstream news can do it, can act like kind of entertainment clowns, I think on the other side, you almost can't afford to because you have to really prove, like prove yourself in a way that we are really organized and we are, and we know what we're talking about and, and we're not messing around, you know? So um, I think that's what gives me hope in, 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 in like a 911 truth, for instance. But um, I think what I, what I would love to see is an investigation, but what makes me pessimistic about it is that if, if the government is involved, um, which there's a high likelihood that they would be from based on the data we know, I mean, why would they want to investigate themselves? I mean, if NIST is the ones that are clearly saying, well, I don't want to talk about it, or if FEMA report was like, eh, this is then, then, then there's no, there's, 
then there's not a high likelihood that they're going to want to do another investigation. So maybe there's a possibility that there are some senators, um, some Congress people that uh, are that are probably a very small fraction because it's still really not really accepted to talk about it in Congress either. That take an interest in it. That maybe there's maybe there's a political um, grassroots campaign that can happen. So there there are things I think that are possible. But um, I mean, I'm sure you would certainly know better about what's happening in terms of what the, the grassroots organizations are uh, on your side, on your end. Well, here's why I'm hopeful. Um, CNN Plus, apparently, I didn't even know this existed until it tanked, but mm -hmm. apparently it was CNN trying to reach out to people on the internet and it went down. Yeah, I've heard about that, yeah. It's done. So they're becoming more irrelevant. I mean, it has gotten to the point where the mainstream media is an absolute joke. The only advantage they have is that if you have another 9-11 style event, they have the money and resources to stick a camera on the street and film it. That's yep. it. You might as well just put the mute button or hit the mute button on the TV screen and just watch it and then put on a, a, an Internet show talking mm -hmm. about it. That's the right. only thing they have going for them now. Everything else, nobody thinks that they're getting any truth from them. Nobody takes them seriously anymore. So that's where I see us having an impact, not just 9-11 truth, but everything else that spawned from it in the years that followed. We don't get into that stuff. We stick to what we do. And it's important to stick to what we do because distracting us and discombobulating us with all sorts of issues, creating all this division is actually a strategy. I used to see this when we did the C-SPAN campaign. That's when we had people calling congressmen and stuff on mm -hmm. uh, the, the morning show on C-SPAN. And they would try to divert the caller with a different question. Oh, what do you, okay, we'll get to that in a second. They never get, you know, they wouldn't if, they, right. if this worked. Um, but what do you think about immigration? You know, and then the person gives their opinion and the congressman talks about that. Or they get two people arguing about some, you know, who they think did it on the uh, on Facebook and it creates this huge distraction and people aren't talking now about what they agree on. Um, mm -hmm. It's a tactic to use to divide and conquer us or to just kind of get us off of our way. I like being laser focused. I like sticking to the same question over and over again and continually asking it to the point of annoyance, of annoying yeah. the other side um, because they can't answer it. They're, they're caught on this and they have to mm -hmm. eventually admit it if we just keep it up. So we have to stay focused on what we do here mm -hmm. and that's uh, what I'm going to do. So mm -hmm. we're going to keep on bringing you a great guest like Andrew here. Us Andys need to stick together. Uh, <laughs> there was actually a Facebook group that reached out to me one time. It said Andy or Andy Steals of the World Unite. I thought that was a great concept. Of that's, that's a cool group. <laughs> yeah. But um, but anyway, let's say another architect is is watching this right now. Mm -hmm. They're considering signing that petition but they are hesitant. They're not as courageous at the moment. What do you have to say to them why they should sign that petition? Well, I, um, I think as I was saying before, I think it would be in, it would behoove an architect and anyone else for that matter, but especially an architect um, to do their own research. And, and, and that will, it will inevitably draw them to signing that position, petition because I, I think someone telling you that you should do something is, is never nearly as powerful as seeing something right in front of your eyes that is the, the glaring truth. So I think um, I would I would recommend really digging into um, digging into the the raw research, the footage that going back to that day, really it's painful, but I think getting past that 
point is the hardest and most important part of really taking yourself back to that day, really looking at it again from a different perspective and really having an open mind about it. Um, because now we're not just like watching, we're just not watching TV. We're not just flipping on um, MSNBC. We're, we're doing our own real, our own investigation um, to really understand a historical, a historical event like you can do with any other event. Um, but this one is a specifically important one. Um, and and it, to think, like you said before, that, oh, it doesn't matter, it's 20 years ago, it doesn't affect my life. I mean, you can bet that it affects your life. It affects everyone's life. It's just not everyone knows it. So um, yeah, I would say get out there and just start looking up stuff, reading stuff, do your own research. Um, don't take my word for it, but, I, but I, it's a great petition to sign. It's a great cause. That's right. And, you know, most of the things that we worry about happening never happen. They exist only in our imagination. And something I forgot to mention when I was talking about another reason I'm hopeful is government's always changing. There's always different people coming up, changing the face of political parties, changing the face of Congress or whatnot. And someone out there right now could be watching this and say, hey, I should run for Congress. And I think you should. I don't even know you, but I think you should, you should get your name out there. <laughs> And, uh, and and talk about this evidence. Don't do it with the goal of winning, although that'll be a happy bonus. Do it with the goal of getting the information out. And uh, it's something that we can do. Maybe I could make them freak out and do it myself. What do you think? I think it'd be know. great. You should totally do it. <laughs> I don't know. I you know I, I wouldn't want to be around these people all the time because if I if I won, then I'd have to be dealing with other politicians. And I just never thought of myself as, as one. But that yeah. might be fun. So I, I worried about the same thing. I was like, you know, it's an interesting. Maybe I should really get myself out there in the political world. I was like, nah, I don't want to be around any of those people. God, but it's a great way to change things. That's for sure. Well, I just like to say it because if there's any uh, any of the opposition out there watching, I just want them to get a little freaked out about the thought of it right now. So <laughs> get a little rise out of them. I like um, uh, Andrew, we are pretty much out of time here. So thank you so much for stepping forward for signing that petition and uh, just lending your name to this important call. And of course, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it, Andy. Thanks for having me on. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So that is another episode of 9-11 Freefall. And I want to correct something. The company that Andrew worked for is called Gensler. I mispronounced it. I said Gensler. I mispronounce things all the time because uh, that is just what I do, but I want to get that correct. And he's also been an architect since 2013. So that is more than eight years by my clock. So we'll make sure to get those facts straight, but he's a very sharp guy. I'm happy to have him on board our side now. And uh, I'm happy to have you out there in the audience as well. Let us know how we can improve the show, including uh, pronouncing things correctly. But you can always send your comments in to 911freefall.com or ae911truth.org, or you can type them right there in the YouTube comments, um, and I'll probably see them as well. So with all that said, I want to thank you for watching, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.